0: From the NBC Theater in Hollywood, an hour-length satire on the world of advertising and super sales in the Great Britain of 40 years ago, by the eminent British author, H.G. Wells. The title, Tonobunge. the adaptation for radio by Ernest Canoy of NBC. And at intermission, the transcribed commentary on the works, both comic and serious, of H.G. Wells by the noted literary critic and novelist, Hamilton Basso. Here then, Bunge by H.G. Wells.
1: Most people seem to live in character. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end all of the same sort. Not I. I have eaten at the footman's table in pantries and been despised for my bad manners. I have married the daughter of a gasworks clerk. I have dined with countesses. And once I upset my champagne over the trousers of one of the greatest statesmen of the empire. I spent my childhood at Bladesover House, where my mother was housekeeper. In those days, every human being had a place. Above you were your betters, and below you, your inferiors. Nobody seemed to be equal. Perhaps I can give you an idea of the atmosphere at Bladesover House by describing tea in the servants' quarters. At the head of the table sat Rabbits, the butler.
2: One lampard, two, Mrs.
1: Pondervo. Next came my mother with a bunch of keys at her waist. Two, if you please, Mr. Rabbits. Next, Miss Fison, my lady's personal maid.
3: A Sugar, please, Mrs.
4: Mackridge.
1: Then came Mrs. Mackridge, a lady's maid emeritus and quite the grandest person there.
4: They say, they say sugar is fattening nowadays. Many of the best people do not take it at all. Sir Roderick Dasherwood, before he died, consumed great quantities of sugar. I have sometimes fancied it may have hastened his end. Uh, four lumps, please, Mr. Rabbits.
1: All England was like blades of a house then. We all looked up to the great mansions on the hills and plodded about the villages, touching our caps neatly when the gentry passed. But at the age of 16, I was summarily banished for fighting with the son of a visiting baronet who called me a miserable servant boy. My mother bundled me off to Wimblehurst to my uncle Pondevero, who kept a chemist's shop. We paused outside his shop, and my mother read a large purple poster painted by hand.
3: Thy Pondevero's calf us now. Why? Tuppence cheaper than in winter. You stored up apples and why not medicine? This must be it, George. That placard could be written by no one but Teddy. Come along.
5: Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes. You don't know me. A glass of water, madam. A sip of coughingtus.
3: This boy takes after his father,
5: and so I have brought him to you. His father? Well, but then. Susan, Susan, it's Aunt Fondelovo, George's wife.
3: I'll be right down, Teddy.
6: Well, 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 well.
5: I've brought young George to you. I want him to stay
3: here and help you about the shop. Naturally, I shall provide for his living.
5: Do you like Wimblehurst? Well, of course, it gives me no scope. Scope? There's no development, no growth. You can't get him to take up anything new. I've tried to float a little notion of mine. Insurance scheme for coals. Pay so much a week, then when you've got a real sniffle, a bottle of cufflinkers is delivered free. But there's no life about the place, no jump. It doesn't suit me. I'm the cascading sort.
3: His father was that. You'll agree to take him, then?
5: I think we can make a chemist out of him. Looks like a boy with push, with jump,
6: with... with, with.
1: So I took up my new world in Wimblehurst, set to work on Latin and Materia Medica, and rambled about the town. The neighborhood was dominated by Eastray, a house something like Bladesover, and the great folk at Eastray ran the district with well-oiled ease. Most everyone in Wimblehurst seemed happy with this 18th century arrangement, except my Uncle
5: Teddy. This place wants waking up, eh, George? What, Uncle? I'm sorting these bottles. Come here. I'd like to set a dozen Americans loose into it, then we'd see. Things must be happening somewhere, George. Three broken bottles, Uncle. I must invent something and shove it. I could. Uh, would you pass that ledger, Uncle? Or the stock exchange. The ledger, Uncle? Cold, mutton, fat. That's what this town is. Cold, mutton, fat. And I'm buried in it up to the armpits. Up in London, George, things happen. I wish to heaven I'd been born an American. What do they do in London, Uncle Teddy? Rush about, do things. You put down a hundred, see, and buy ten thousand pounds worth, and then whew, things go up and you sell. Men are made a done for an hour. You've got to be in London where things are happening. But here I am paying rent to Lord Eastry. He doesn't want things to happen. He wants everything to burble along the way it's burbled along for a thousand years.
1: Where shall I put these bottles, Uncle?
5: I must invent something. That's it. Something that will go like or the stock exchange. That's it. The stock exchange. George, uh, George, come here a mo, eh?
1: I'm rowing pills, Uncle.
5: I know. There's something I want to tell you. Oh. Uh, what is it, Uncle Terry? Take a look at this paper, George. Oh, graphs, aren't they, Uncle? It's as plain as can be. These are the prices for Union Pacific stock. See how I've marked the curves? Mm. It's absolutely scientific. You buy in the hollow and sell in the crest, and there you are. Does it work, Uncle? There are ups and downs in life, George. <clears throat> I, uh, I left out one factor in Union Pacific analysis. Uncle, you don't mean you really... I do, George. It's bust me. I'm bankrupt. Then... The shop's bust, too. I shall have to get out of that.
7: And me?
5: Oh, you're all right, George. You can transfer your apprenticeship. I'm not the one to be careless with trust funds, George. There's some of it left. There's one thing that bothers me. Aunt Susan. No, those others. Those blasted stick-in-the-mud-and-die-slowly tradesmen here. Ruck the butcher, marble the grocer. George, how they'll grin. Well, crises I always say, try character. And I shall pay you, George, 20 shillings on the pound.
1: That's all right, Uncle
6: Teddy.
5: No, no. I shall get a situation in London. London, there's the place. Opportunity's my game. Development, motion, push, jump, and air.
1: It took me some time to grasp the fact that my uncle in plain English had robbed me of 600 pounds or more, left me by my mother. He rather treated the whole affair as a business loan, and I, for my part, was partially taken in. I stayed on at Wimblehurst, continuing my studies, and presently I too went down to London to study for my engineering degree. My uncle, of course, decided I must be shown London, and off we went with Aunt Susan
5: along on a whirlwind of sightseeing. London, George, takes a lot of understanding. Certainly is a big place. Immense. You see those sandwich men down there? Fair treat. You don't see poverty like that in Wimblehurst. And many of them, High Oxford Honour men, too, brought down by drink. Oh, it's a wonderful place, George. A whirlpool, a maelstrom whirls you up and whirls you down. teas and buns miss
3: right sir and fresh of course sir george yes aunt susan been in love yet george
1: too busy aunt
3: (laughs) and how are you going to make your fortune
1: electricity eh george i think i shall be satisfied with something less than a fortune
3: we are going to make ours suddenly he says going to ride in a carriage and have a garden
5: (laughs) he says you'll get it all right
3: gray horses in the carriage and dinners in restaurants and money, money, money.
5: You may joke.
3: As though an old pauper like him would ever make money. I'll
5: do something, you bet. Where are those teas?
3: Here you are, sir. Three teas. When you make that fortune, you must buy me a new pair of gloves. This finger's past mending.
5: George, a woman doesn't understand how long it takes to build up a position. I have my plans. I rally my attack. What plans, Uncle? George, I'm not one to talk indiscreet. Listen. Yes? Tono Bungay. Hmm? Tono Bungay.
1: Oh, that. Huh? Uh, what is Tono
5: Bungay? Ah, you may well ask. What won't it be? Remember those words, George. Tono Bungay. It will remake London. Tono Bungay.
1: I lost track of my uncle for a while. I was hard at work at the university, taking my degree in engineering. But soon an interruption crept into my life. I began to fall in love faintly with girls I passed in the street, with ladies in passing carriages, and with neat-handed waitresses in tea rooms. I met Marion on the train. We were alone in the compartment, and she had lost her ticket. I offered to pay her fare, and she accepted.
4: Thank you so much. Awfully kind of you, you know.
1: I met her again in the scientific library, digging something out of the encyclopedia. She spoke warmly.
4: That was so kind of you the other day in the train. I do so like a kind gentleman.
1: <laughs> oh, it wasn't anything?
4: Oh, yes, indeed it was, Mr... Uh,
1: Ponderavo. Mr. George Ponderavo.
4: And I'm Miss Marion Ramboat.
1: Delighted to meet you, Miss Ramboat.
4: Equally charmed, Mr. Ponderavo. Um, uh, Would you care to accompany me to the art museum? I do so love to set up my little easel and and copy things.
1: I should love to. uh, My arm, Miss Rainbow. (laughs) The affair was immensely serious to me. And then after weeks, Marion invited me home for tea. She insisted that I have a morning coat made, and I purchased a new silk hat and traveled to Wallum Green. As I drove up, I saw a sign, Apartments to Let, disappear from the front window in my honor. Mr. Ramboat a clerk in the gas works, delivered himself of several philosophical theories.
2: Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot about this here science about nowadays. I sometimes wonder a bit what good it is. How about you, Mr. Ponderavo? Care to enter into a bit of discussion on the topic? Now, Father... I was just suggesting a bit of a discussion, friendly-like.
4: I'm sure Mr. Ponderavo doesn't want to be bothered.
2: Oh, not at all. And
4: I dare say there's much to be said on on both sides.
2: All right, Mag, if you say so.
4: Please, Father. I do wish you'd call me Marion. Mag is so... so common.
6: (laughs) You mustn't.
1: Your father's gone to the pub.
4: But you mustn't put your arm around me. It isn't proper.
1: Marion, I. I love you.
4: Love me? George, don't! Don't! Oh, Oh! You shouldn't have done that.
1: What's wrong with kissing you?
4: You must promise never to do that again.
1: But I love you. I want to marry you.
4: But you're not in a position to marry. So what's the good of talking like that?
1: I don't care. It'll
4: be years before you've enough money to marry. But
1: I love you. Don't you... don't you love me? Well,
4: I... I like you, I suppose. But one has to be sensible. Oh, can't we keep on as we are? Now, George, take... take your arm away from my waist. It isn't proper, and... and someone may see in through the curtains.
1: And so, under the strain of thwarted passion... I failed at the university. My scholarship ran out and I was at my wits' end. Returning to my room one day, I was struck by a new bill posted upon the hoardings. It was simple and yet arresting. And I found myself repeating the words as I passed. And through the splashy yellow letters on the purple background, I could hear the voice of my Uncle Teddy.
5: The secret of vigor. What? Tono Bungay. And
1: then at my room, I found his telegram.
5: Come to me at once. You are wanted.
6: 300
5: a year certain. Tono Bungay. Ah, there we are, George. I got your telegram, Uncle. What did I tell you, my boy? Needn't whisper it now. Shout it out loud. Spread it about. Tono, Tono, Tono Bungay. Cool, listen to him. (laughs) You bore me.
1: Uncle Teddy. Can we come in from the street?
5: Oh, yes, of course. Come into the inner sanctum. Well, George, I'm at it. At what, Uncle Teddy? Tono Bungay. It's afloat. Here's the first bottle. It's afloat. I'm afloat. Oh, it's getting lunchtime, George. You'd better come have lunch with me. How's Aunt Susan? Top form. Tono Bungay's done it. Uncle Teddy, what is Tono Bungay? It's the secret of vigor. Didn't you read the label? <laughs> yes. And but... it's selling like hotcakes. You see, it's nice because of the flavoring. Lean close, George. Hmm? It's flavored. And it's stimulating because of... Bucks up the kidneys, you know. And to top it off, it's 45% alcohol with just a dash. Uncle Teddy. That last was my idea. I want to let you in on this, George, for many reasons. Cigar? Oh, thank you, Uncle. They're the best, you know. Swash, that's what does it. The best clothes, the best cigar. That's the way to make an impression. Well, I've always believed in you, George, and there was that little matter of your trust fund. Well, I can create this business, but I can't make it run. You've got to help. Me? Well, uh, me? I'm a boiler, not a simmering stick at it. I can go myself, but I can't keep things rolling along. Need you. Come in with me, eh, George? Well, I... Think of the fun of it, whooshing it up, making it spin, making it go. Three hundred a year and a tenth of the profits. Three hundred a year? That's nothing to a tenth of the profits. Well, I don't. Know. In the first place, it's a bloody swindle. Tut, tut. After all, there's no harm in the stuff, and it might do a lot of good. Gives people confidence in an epidemic. But it's a fake. You're not selling them any value. There's faith, George. Everything advertised today has to be emphatic. It's the modern way. Think of the workmen I'm hiring. Tono Bungay may not be as good as plain ginger ale, but it makes trade. Commerce, business, romance. It's the trade that makes the world go round. I don't know, Uncle. I don't like the fraud in it. Oh, come off it, George. This place needs you. Make it run. Put it on an engineering basis. You could take this place and make it go. Oh, excuse me. I'm off to dictate a letter. Uh, Miss Hardcastle.
1: After a week of wrestling, I felt I must come to a decision. I had no doubt that the stuff itself, Tono Bungay, was a mischievous trash, mildly stimulating, and possibly dangerous to people with defective kidneys. Somehow I felt the whole procedure had a touch of insanity to it. But then, there was Marion.
4: you like this hat, George?
1: I love you, Marion.
4: Now do be sensible, George.
1: Marion, I want you to marry me.
4: We can't. Why not? You've no money. One can't marry in the street. No good that way, you know. One is only miserable. So do be sensible, George, and do leave off holding my hand.
1: Look here, Marian, what would you marry on? How about 300 a year?
4: Mm, that's six pounds a week. One could manage.
1: Will you marry me if I make 300 a year? If. It's a bargain.
4: Oh. I suppose then we're engaged. But it's silly. You shall have to wait years.
1: I don't think so. I know where I can get 300 a year, if I want it. Hello, Aunt Susan. I've come to tea.
3: Well, old George, how jolly.
1: Will Uncle be back?
3: Catch him missing tea. What do you think of this business he's got?
1: Seems promising.
3: It came on quite suddenly. Brooding he was, something fierce. Then one day he came home saying Tono bungay, till I thought he was off his onion. He wants you, George. Yes, I know. Says he can make a splash, but can't keep on. Says says if you don't come in, everything will smash. You are coming in, aren't you, George?
1: But well, look here, Aunt, it's a quack medicine. It's trash.
3: There's no law against selling quack medicine that I know of. It's our only chance, George. If it doesn't go...
5: Oh,
7: dear. It's
3: Teddy. Hark at him, George.
5: Hello, George. Thought it over? Yes. Coming in? Yes. Ah. Now, why
1: couldn't you say that a week ago? I've had false ideas about the sanity of the world, Uncle Teddy. But I'll come in with you now. I'll take my chance, and I won't hesitate again. (laughs) So I made my peace with my uncle, and we set out upon this bright enterprise of selling slightly injurious rubbish at one and three halfpence a bottle. We made Tono Bungay hum, and it was my uncle's genius that did it. He wrote every advertisement, and sketched the designs, and soon we burst on London like a bombshell.
5: Tono Bungay, Tono Bungay, like mountain air in the veins. Are you bored with your business? Are you bored with your dinner? Are you bored with your wife? What you need is Tono Bungay. Health, beauty, strength. Tono Bungay!
1: Section by section, we spread it over the British Isles. London, England, Wales... And troops of salesmen and jobbers spread over the entire country. The romance of modern commerce,
5: eh, George? Conquest, province by province like soldiers, onward and upward with tono-bungay. The
1: road over the border into Scotland with a special adaptation containing 70% alcohol. And our advertising was adjusted to the hearty Highlander.
5: Hoot now, laddie, would you hay health and a bit of brass to lay by? man ganged your neighborhood chemist for Tono Bungay, the broad Breath Thistle brand. Scots were hay and three cheers for Bonnie Prince Charlie. <laughs>
1: Today we were developing subsidiary products, Tono Bungay hair stimulants. It
5: stimulates the follicles. Flatter your follicles with Tono Bungay. Tonobungay lozenges? Ask any cabinet minister. Four hours debate using Tono Bungay lozenges, and fresh as ever, Tono Bungay behind the empire. Tonobungay mouthwash.
7: You may be young yet, but are I'm... you sure nothing has aged your gums? Don't tell us so, but you need. Oh, no. Bungay.
5: We're afloat, George. It's going like... I know, Uncle. It's advertisement's done it. You take something that isn't worth anything, and it's worth something. Take mustard. I don't like mustard. Well, just as a hypothesis. Just ordinary mustard. Now, right on every billboard from here to Land's End, Smith's mustard is best... And behold, it is the best. Ah, George, this is the life.
6: And then, of course,
1: there was Marion. She derived her notion of courtship from popular fiction at the public library. And I suppose if you asked her, she would express it like this.
4: Love is a a state of worship on the part of a man. Men give presents and, and all sorts of nice surprises. Women go out with them and kiss them every so often when it's proper. Usually she does something for his own good, like making him go to church or stop smoking. Now, George, do take your arm from about my waist. Someone will see.
1: But I was young... And there was no doubt of my passion for her. And eventually I went again to her house in Wallam Green and approached Mr. Ramboat, her father. I found him in the garden.
2: Uh, uh, mind the watering can, Mr. Ponderigo. Oh,
1: I'm going to ask your daughter to marry me, sir.
2: Well, um, I don't believe in long engagements, but Marion usually has her own way. I say, have you seen this new powdered fertilizer? Don't hardly smell at all. <laughs>
1: So we were married. I put my foot down and insisted on a simple ceremony at the registrar. So we had three livery carriages to the church, a wedding breakfast sent in from caterers, silver-printed wedding announcement, and a small music hall hired for the reception. The only appropriate comment I remember came from Mr. Ranboat.
2: You should have been here an hour earlier, George. They had a wonderful funeral. Quite a smart affair with the glasses and black horses. My word, it was a smasher.
1: set up housekeeping in Tottenham Court Road. Marion installed a piano, a rubber plant, cozy corners, whatnots, and china figurines. Naturally, there was no place to put my books. And quite frankly, the whole thing was a bore for both of us. I think perhaps the last straw was Marion's habit of wearing her oldest and ugliest clothes about the house, on the theory that she certainly didn't have to dress up for me. Presently, it ended.
4: You've come home. Where have you been?
1: East Coast. On business? I know. You know. By Jove, I believe you do.
4: And then you come home to me. How could you do such a thing?
1: Who knows about it?
4: My sister's chum. They saw you and that. that woman at Brighton.
1: Oh, that's how it was.
4: I always knew all men were horrid about this.
1: It doesn't strike me as horrid. George! It seems to be the most necessary consequence of our life.
6: <laughs> but I didn't
1: mean you to know. But then why should you mind? I-
6: just don't believe it.
4: It, it. it just isn't proper. George, George, where are you going? Out. But you can't. Why not? Well, mother's coming to tea. What'll she think if you're not here?
1: If I know your sister's chum, your mother can't oh. think very well of me already. <laughs> oh, come now, Marion. If you like, we'll have a divorce.
4: Nobody in our family's ever had a divorce.
6: I don't know what they'll think.
1: They'll have to recover <laughs> from it. Goodbye, Marion.
4: George! George! George, you've hated it all along, haven't you? No.
1: No, I haven't exactly hated it. But there's no more to be done, is there?
4: No, I suppose not.
1: Well, then, goodbye. Hmm? And that was all. I later heard Marion remarried a Mr. Wacorn, a leading agent in the wallpaper pattern trade, and that was all. The great days of Tono Bungay were before me, the zooming skyrocket of fame and fortune, and the inevitable fall. But that is the next part of my story.
0: Hollywood, the NBC Theatre is bringing you a dramatization of Tono Bungay by H.G. Wells. If you're interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these NBC Theatre productions with home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the close of this program. We take this opportunity to express our appreciation to the publication Radio Television Life, which in its seventh annual Distinguished Achievement Awards has named NBC Theatre Most Outstanding Contribution to Radio in 1949. We join radio television life in congratulating Mr. David Niven, who, for his performance in our production of George Orwell's 1984, has been given this publication citation for the outstanding dramatic guest performance of the year. And now, our intermission commentator, Mr. Hamilton Basso.
8: This story of H.G. Wells' that we are listening to, Tono Bungay, has always struck me as being perhaps the best thing that ever came from his pen. Wells is remembered today as a kind of Fabian Jules Verne. We think of him as having been a very astute prophet of some of the more striking developments of modern science, and as a most energetic pamphleteer. It is interesting to note that both these sides of his character, the prophet and the pamphleteer, are reflected in the story we are enjoying. Take for one example the gentle art of advertising. Advertising wasn't an altogether new thing in 1908 when Tono Bungay was written, but it was still in its swaddling clothes. Yet, with a most amazing accuracy, Wells was able to foresee the precise, extravagant, altogether incredible direction it was to take. The book is full of other prophetic insights, too, as well as a great deal of Fabian pamphleteering. But the important thing about *Tono Bungay is neither its prophecy nor its preachment. Its value lies in its presentation of character. Novelists differ from the rest of the world, as has been said, in that they never cease to be interested in character. Its study becomes an absorbing pursuit to them, and its delineation very nearly an obsession. It seems plain that it was was this obsession that gripped Wells when he sat down to write Tono Bungay what he most wanted to do was to tell about people, to strip away all outward appearances and lay bare their human, living, contradictory truth. And I think I know why. If you read Wells's autobiography, Experiment in Autobiography, he called it, you will discover that in Tono Bungay he was writing out of his own immediate urgent experience. It seems to be something he had to get down. But there's one thing about Tono Bungay that to me is no less important than its penetration of character. That is its story. A very good story, as I think you will agree. Now, I won't keep you from hearing the rest of it any longer.
0: Thank you, Mr. Basso. Our radio version of Tono Bange will continue from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification.
1: the romantic element in modern business. My uncle met Mr. Moggs at dinner in West End. He was the grandson of the original Moggs, and he had inherited the vast Moggs domestic soap works. My Uncle Teddy said, Snap, and we own the whole soap business, lock, stock, and barrel.
5: Now, Mr. Moggs, there's no objection to our advertising you far and wide.
0: I draw the line at railway stations, south coast cliffs, and volumes of poetry, which I may read.
5: We'll get along, I'm sure.
0: So long as you don't annoy me, you can make me as rich as you like.
5: I've got the whole campaign in my head now. We're going to make you the grand established firm. Are you really? We'll tell stories about the first Mogg's and the Duke of Wellington, Mogg's and George Third. But I say, my great-grandfather was a butcher, you know. Ah, but the public doesn't. What snob appeal. Can you see it? Mogg's soap used in the household of the Duke of Kent and for the old Queen in infancy. Fancy... We're flying high, George, and there's no telling where we'll end now. A gigantic edifice built on Moggs domestic soap and tono bungay.
1: In rapid succession, my uncle reorganized and took over Skinnerton's polishes, the Riffleshaw patent
5: sweeper, and the Runcorn coffee mill and mincer business. George, we're a consolidation now. That's it. No more Ponderavo and Company. Domestic Utilities Limited. We'll be pushing the stock in the city in a fortnight. Is that so, Uncle? Where have you been, boy? We're an amalgamation, a consolidation, a national institution. I didn't know, Uncle Teddy. You see, I've been doing some research
1: on airplanes. And you know, I actually believe I may be able to invent one that'll fly.
5: Nonsense, George. We're flying now. Why, our stock will be capitalized at three millions. Will it really? I suppose then I'll have enough money for my research? Why, our assets alone are five million, and that doesn't count influence. How about the liabilities? Enormous.
1: You know, Uncle, I'm worried. You know we haven't created anything. I don't believe that one of our companies has ever added any real value to human life. You've got so many holding companies with interlocking directorates that you have to hire a special coach to get you round to the board meetings.
5: No value. Why, we mint faith, George. That's what we do. We've been making human confidence ever since I drove the first cork into Tonobungay. We mint faith. Coining might
1: be a better word.
5: It's all insane snap at the right time. Decision, that's what makes the world go. Buy up and sell.
1: Mm. Tell me, Uncle Teddy, is it true that you tried to buy up the British Medical Journal to advertise Tono Bungay? Made them a
5: fine offer, but they wouldn't sell. Oh.
1: Come here, Uncle Teddy. To the window. What is it? You see those men marching up and down with placards in the rain? Of course. They're unemployed. Look at them, soaking wet. Do you know why? They haven't said snap in the right place. Or they've snapped too eagerly, or they've never had a chance to say snap. What's that to us, George? Look eh? at them. a the shambling, wasteful stream oozing along the street. The waste of civilization. And here we stand, dry and warm in a beautifully furnished drawing room. Uncle, there but for the grace of God... Called George and Edward Ponderable.
5: Oh yes, 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 yes. I, I see what you mean, George. That reminds me, I've several meetings to attend. Going to merge with Empire Utilities Limited. Just have to say snap, and she's mine, George. We're just at the peak of the boom. There's no telling what's ahead.
1: The day of reckoning was not yet here. And Uncle Teddy dashed about London in a high-silk hat and hordes of shifty-eyed promoters, followed by funereal solicitors, grabbed at his coattails and poured schemes into his ears. Uncle Teddy was beginning to feel the need of background, social background, and I found him discussing it with Aunt Susan one afternoon when I came to
5: tea. Look here, George, I've just been saying, we aren't au fait. What?
3: That's French. The old posher won't even speak common English anymore. <laughs> I tell
5: you what I mean. Every time I go to dinner, I don't know which wine is which. I have to point and take my chance. That's not the style, George. Not a proper ad. We're going to be big. We're on the upgrade. We can't afford to be laughed at as pouvenous. You mean parvenous, Uncle Teddy? Nobody's going to laugh at me, but we're bumping against new people. We've got to have style. Take wine. We don't know wine. And cigars, although I'll admit Runcorn didn't have cigars like these. Huh? We beat them there. Got to get the hang of etiquette. Horses, even. It's the only escape from Goucherie. From who? <laughs>
9: it's French again.
5: Oh, gaucherie. That's <laughs> what I mean. That's what we need. Tips about eating. Tips about drinking. Learn the whole bag of tricks in six months, then get into some good club. George, you've got to help. You speak Latin. I don't think we'll meet many Latinists.
3: But we've come to France. Exactly.
5: <laughs> and we can do it. No Englishman can pronounce French. It's all a bluff, and we can bluff just as well as the next chap. Style, that's the thing. Le steel say lump. <laughs> what? French. The style, it's the man. What are you laughing at, Susan? George, you're not smoking. These cigars are good for the mind. Go on. We've got to adapt ourselves to our new position, and we're going to beat them all silly. <laughs>
1: Uncle Teddy and Aunt Susan learned the new game of style very rapidly. They experimented abroad, they experimented at home. They tried every fancy dish they ever heard of, from asparagus to plover's eggs. I remember my aunt's first dinner gown. She stood before a mirror in
5: a low-cut, backless satin.
3: You know a ham must feel just like this.
5: Nonsense, couldn't tell you from a Duchess, Susan. Style, that's the thing. Uncle Teddy began to buy
1: things. Grandfather clocks first, three dozen of them, and then old copper warming pans. He took up shopping as a form of recreation. As the business grew more frenzied, his shopping went on apace. He shopped to astonish and dismay. He shopped crescendo, he shopped fortissimo, he shopped con Molto Expressiona, and then one day he bought a castle. We all went there together with a vicar of the nearby village.
5: How do you like it, eh, George? This is the dining room.
1: Think of it, Uncle Teddy. The men who built this wore armor and carried a sword.
5: I dare say, but it's a bit stuffy. They hadn't much idea about ventilation when this was built.
8: I'm sure you'll be most happy here, Mr. Pondeveril.
5: No doubt, Vicar. I mean to do my duty by the parish and the old manor, you know. I'm so glad.
2: We missed the influence of the castle, you know. Uh, there's nothing like the influence of the castle. It settles the villagers. However, we shall try to liven things up a bit.
5: Liven things? Cricket. Every village should have a cricket pitch. And a shooting gallery. Fine British sport. Oh, yes, yes, of course. But won't it be uh, a bit noisy? A bit, yes. We'll paint the building red. Good British colour. A red paint, eh? That's right. Not enough colour about. Not enough of old merry England. Too grey. Next thing is a maypole. I'm all for getting the good old English spirit back again. Lads and lassies dancing on the village green. New logs and that sort of thing. What we want to do is buck up the country.
8: Yes, I, I see. Um, buck up the country. Uh, quite. Do you think we might do without the shooting gallery?
1: That night, we sat on the veranda at the castle, smoked, drank whiskey, and looked across the valley to the lights of the village. Uncle Teddy sighed and then turned to me.
5: Well, we got here, eh, George? George?
1: I suppose we did, Uncle.
5: You remember me telling you? Ah, oh, it's a great world, eh, George? To those what lay a hold of it. Oh, we're getting to be big people. Remember the chemist shop at Wimblehurst? It's a long way from here, Uncle Teddy. Think of it. Here we are with power and leisure. Picked out because we've been energetic. Seized opportunities because we made things hum. Anglo-Saxon energy. That's it. We've got our hands on things. Us big people. We've got to hang together and run the show. We've got to run the country, George. It's ours. I've been talking to Lord Boom, the big newspaper man. I shouldn't trust him, Uncle. Wonderful man, makes things hum. George, this British system is a wonderful one. Everything's open to us now. What would you think of a title, eh? You? Oh, Uncle
1: Teddy, really
5: now. Lord Boom was a crime reporter course, there's the trouble with the title.
1: How about calling yourself Tono Bungay? Lord Tono of Bungay. That's
5: a round-sounding name. Now, George, I'm being serious. You're always sneering at Tono Bungay as though it was some sort of a swindle. It's a perfectly legitimate business. George, you've got to drop that tone. You've got to face what we are now. Just what are we, Uncle? Well, I've always thought there was a great deal to that Superman thought of Nietzsche. And think of Napoleon. Where would he have gotten with scruples like yours? We big people, George, we've got to grasp things, rule, you know. And we can do it because we make things hum, like that.
1: There he stands in my memory. My Uncle Teddy on the terrace, the symbol of this age. His brow wrinkled Napoleonically, with the breeze fluttering his coattails and his eyes searching the horizon for a future of mergers, amalgamations, and international commercial arrangements. Teddy Ponderivo, astride the world like a colossus. (laughs) Three months later, when he called me to his office with these words.
5: George, we've got to make a fight for it. We've got to face the music. Is that trouble, Uncle Teddy? It's the newspapers. Lord Boom. He's trying to fight me down. He thinks my consolidating cut down the ads. Oh, I'd like to bash his face. Well, what's to be done? Keep going. I'll smash Boom yet. There's a scare on. Did you notice all those reporters outside? Old Boom's men. What can he do? We're
1: sound, aren't we?
5: Oh, yes, yes, we're sound. There's only one thing we've got to do. We've got to prove that we've got the capital. Have we? Well, no, no, but there's a way out. I want you to meet Gordon A. Smith. Who's he? You'll see. Come along.
2: There it is, Mr. Ponderivo. My explorations show that the more dead Islands off the coast of South Africa are crammed with copa. With what? Copa. That's what the natives call it. Heaps of it just lying around loose. I see, Mr. Naismith, but what is copa? What is it? Copa, sir, is the most radioactive stuff in the world, a festering mass of polonium, radium, ethorium, callium, and lots of new stuff. And there it lies in heaps. And the land around it is scorched black for miles.
5: Don't you see, George? It's minerals, millions of pounds worth just lying about. If we can corner the market and Copa, bring back a boatload of the stuff to London, Tono Bungay is safe. We'll prove we've got the capital. With the Copa, we can snap our fingers at boom. Without it, we're ruined. What do you say, George? Will you go and bring back the Copa to save Tono Bungay? Well, Uncle Teddy... <laughs> All right, I'll go. George, if you pull this thing off, once or twice before you stepped in with that whoosh of yours, you've got to, you know. Tono Bungay depends on it.
1: And so I set out for the Mordet Islands to steal a cargo of the mysterious radioactive copa. Our ship was a beast of a brig transferred from the potato trade, and she reeked from end to end with the smell of raw potatoes. I was sick all the journey out. That smell of phantom potatoes proved too much for me. My plight was complicated by Gordon Naismith, who shared my cabin and smoked a particularly foul pipe.
2: You know, Ponderable, there are only three things you can clean a pipe with. Please. That pipe. Three things. The best, a feather. Seconds, a straw. And the... Third's a girl's hat It's the tar out, you know. The mucky glop at the bottom of the ball. Mm. Help, Ponderable, what's the matter? Feeling better, I hope. Mm.
1: So it was that I made my voyage to Africa and came at last into a world of steamy fogs and hot smell of a vegetable decay. Presently we came upon the Mordet Islands and Hove to. The beach was lifeless for miles. There was no foliage and dead crocodiles rotted in the mud. At length we found it, two heaps of grey-brown matter.
2: There it is, there, the copa. Amazing. In its pure natural form, loaded with radium, canadium, feriums, foresmite, and foresight. Priceless. It may be dangerous. The radioactivity can be devilish poison. But do you realize the price of foresmite and fortisite in the London market?
1: Tremendous, I hope. We'll need it to save Ponderavo Limited and Tono Bungay. Well, Gordon A. Smith, let's get it loaded. <laughs>
2: Mr. Ponderabo, the last hatch is battened down. We're all
1: ready to sail. Just in time. The wireless picked up a message. There's a gunboat cruising down this way, and Copa is definitely contraband. All right, there. Weigh anchor.
0: terrible
2: the mate reports three feet of water in the hull. Impossible! the
1: hull is newly copper bottom
2: he says it's rising fast and the pumps they can't keep up i can't understand it
1: there's no reason for the leak what's that what i don't know where's it coming from look out it's the nails look they're flying right out of the ship that's where the leak came from may smith it's the copper the copa is pulling the ship apart. It's the
2: radioactivity. Oh heavens, the ship is falling apart. Ponderable. Oh, You're lost. There's only one thing left. All hands, abandon ship. Abandon ship,
1: A bit of floating about, we were picked up by the Portland Castle, bound for London out of Madagascar. When I arrived in London, the newspaper placard resounded to my uncle's bankruptcy. The brilliant skyrocket of Tonobungay had finally fizzled out. I went straight to see Uncle Teddy.
5: Well, well, George, you're looking lean.
1: Uncle Teddy, the copa is at the bottom of the ocean.
7: And there's some bills. Well, you you've done your best. The luck was against us.
5: I've got to take a pill now. Anything wrong, Uncle Teddy? My stomach. I've been fighting on that, and it gave way. You know, like Napoleon, his stomach gave way. It's all up. Bankruptcy? It's cruel. They kept asking questions, George. The bloody bullies. The bloody bullies. Yeah, now take it easy, Uncle Teddy. It's not fair game, George. They tie you out and my stomach's gone. They bait you. It's torture. I've been bellowed at, bullied, treated like a dog. They sprung things on me, things I didn't expect.
7: They don't know I'm here. I slipped out to the embankment and took a rowing boat to Richmond. They they laughed at me in my shirt, sleeves, and silk hat. It's all up, George. Is it, Uncle? It's absconding. They'll have a warrant out. But they
1: mustn't arrest you, Uncle Teddy. I don't know
5: what to do. It's all up
1: now. Uncle Teddy... We've got to get you out of the country. That's no use, George. They'll be watching the dock. We won't go by boat. We'll fly. Fly? That's right. My experimental airplane is ready, Uncle Teddy. It's even been tested. I think we can make it to France. Well, what have you say, George? I'm done. I'm a sick man. I'll have the plane fueled and ready, Uncle Teddy. We'll be across the Channel and in France before morning. The experimental airship was moored at Chislehurst, and Uncle Teddy and I, wrapped in sealskin motoring clothes, were soon aboard. I cranked the engine, and soon the ponderous craft rose slowly above the moors. Over Brighton, I opened the throttle full, and we pushed through the heavy winds towards France. Finally, in the grey dawn, we drifted to rest in an abandoned orchard. What's that? We're here, Uncle Teddy, France. We're safe.
7: George, I'm ill. Terribly. Easy now. I'm cold. Easy. You're safe now. I ought to be in bed. I I ought to be in bed instead of flying about. Go to sleep, Uncle Teddy. We'll find an inn when it's light.
5: It's all very well, but I'm not a young man. I ought to be in bed.
7: Here, Uncle. Lift up your head. There, now slip this knapsack under. I'm cold, George. I'm an old man, and I'm cold. I'm cold.
8: For tronc-la-la-grippe, pneumonia. Is he bad? Most bad. He will die, perhaps today, tomorrow, soon. Poor little man.
1: May I go in to see him?
8: Oh, may we, monsieur? Thank you.
7: Hello, Uncle Teddy. It's been a great career, eh, George? But I shall be glad to rest. Glad to rest. Just be quiet now, Uncle Teddy. No, no. George, George. What is this great place? Terrace above terrace. Kingdoms Caesar never knew. A great man, George. Kingdoms, empires under entirely new management. Rest
1: quietly, Uncle Teddy.
7: They wanted too much. You can't get a safe 6%. Not in this world. George. George. You've always been responsible for the science. You know better than I do. Is... Is it proved?
1: I don't understand.
7: Death ends all. After so much. After such splendid beginnings. Somewhere somewhere there ought to be. What do you expect? (laughs) Oh, it seems to me, George. Can you hear? Yes, Uncle. It seems to me there must be something in me that won't die. Something, just a little length. Some other world. Perhaps. Who knows? Some other world.
1: Not the same scope for Enterprise, Uncle Teddy?
7: No. No. You're sure, George? There isn't some other world. Perhaps.
1: Well, all right, Uncle Teddy. I think so. There. Are you happier?
7: Another world. Scope. For enterprise, make things hum another word. hum, hum, like Uncle Teddy.
9: Uncle Teddy. Uncle Teddy. George, George, is it? It's
7: too late, Aunt Susan.
9: Oh George, I came as soon as I could. <gasps> well, life's a rum go, George.
1: I know, Aunt Susan.
9: Do you remember the little chemist shop in Wimblehurst, with the coloured bottles all glowing in the light? That's what was real—the shop—and we're here in a dream. And poor little Teddy, who used to rush about and talk, making that little puffing noise he did. <laughs>
1: Come away now, Aunt Susan.
9: Men oughtn't to be tempted with
1: business and things. They didn't
9: hurt him, George. No, no, Aunt I wonder, George, if they'll let him talk in heaven. Now, give me your arm, dear, and we'll go away. I'm glad I've got you to lean on now. It's true he wasn't a husband much for me at the last, but but he was my child, George. He was all my children. And life has knocked him about for me. It's puffed him up and smashed him like an old bag under my eyes. Oh, I was clever enough to see it, but but I wasn't clever enough to prevent it.
1: There was nothing you could do, Aunt Susan.
9: It wasn't fair, George. It wasn't fair. Why couldn't they leave him alone with his lies and ways? Why couldn't they leave him alone?
1: I turn over the big pile of manuscript before me now, certain things become clearer. I see this story as one of activity and urgency and sterility. I have called it Tono Bungay, but I had far better have called it waste. I think of all the energy I have given to vain things. I think of my industrious scheming with Uncle Teddy and of his strenuous career. 10,000 men have envied him and wished to live as he lived. It is all one spectacle of forces running to waste, of people who use and do not replace. The story of a country hectic with a wasting, aimless fever of trade and money-making and pleasure-seeking. This is the note I have tried to sound clear. It is a note of crumbling and confusion. But through the confusion sounds another note, something that is at once human achievement and the most inhuman of all existing things. I call this reality science and sometimes truth. Other men serve it in a thousand ways. Each race passes and leaves its contribution. In this march, I seek the meaning of life, the universe and of my uncle Teddy Mm.
0: have been listening to Tono Bungay, an NBC Theater production of the novel by H.G. Wells. If you wish to increase your knowledge and appreciation of literature, we suggest that you might enjoy the college-supervised courses now being offered in connection with the NBC Theater. For full information, write to NBC Theater in care of one of the following universities or colleges... University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. The University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Kansas State Teachers College, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Washington State College, Pullman, Washington. The University of Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Texas College of Arts and Industries, Kingsville, Texas. And Brooklyn College, Brooklyn, New York. You also have a chance to win a set of the famous Encyclopedia Britannica. Several of the universities and colleges offering these courses are giving the Encyclopedia as prizes to the students doing the best work. Enroll in a supervised course, and you may be one of the fortunate ones to win the Encyclopedia Britannica. Be with us at the NBC Theater next week for a dramatization of the brilliant novel There Is No Conversation by Rebecca West. And the following week for a radio version of Angel Pavement, by J.B. Priestley. Tono Bungay was adapted for the NBC theater by Ernest Kanoy. Our intermission commentator was Hamilton Basso, whose commentary was recorded. In today's cast... Whitfield Connor was George, Margaret Brewster was Mother, Charles Davis was Teddy, Queenie Leonard was Susan, Alma Lawton was Marion, Tom Dillon was Ramboat. Tom McKee was Moggs, Crawford Kent, Vicker, Patrick White, Naismith. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of the NBC Theater is Andrew C. Love. This program came to you from Hollywood.